Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. If you would, open up your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we continue our verse-by-verse study in, in the Gospel of Matthew here. As you turn there, let me review from the, the past two weeks here. We have been listening to Jesus close the most famous sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, today will, will be part three of his conclusion, at least for us. Uh, his conclusion deals with how do we enter heaven? How do we enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? If you were to read this sermon from Matthew chapter 5 to 7, it'll take you about 25, 30 minutes. Um, it's taken us about 10 months to go through it, uh, which is a very good thing. Um, we've seen Jesus use several illustrations, haven't we? Uh, we learned about a choice that we have to make. He talked about two gates or two roads, one narrow and, and one broad. And then we choose which one to enter. We learned that the narrow gate, uh, the narrow road, that one leads to heaven, the broad road, the wide road that leads to a very real place called hell. Last Sunday, we learned that if we choose the narrow road, life doesn't get any easier. It actually gets harder. And then Jesus gave us a very specific warning, didn't he? He said, I want you to look out for false teachers. A, a true teacher produces good fruit. A false teacher bears bad fruit. Key point number one from last week as a review, we learned that false teachers are as spiritually dangerous to God's people, as wolves are physically dangerous to sheep. So in other words, a false teacher is not your friend. He is your enemy, and he will destroy you like a wolf destroys a sheep. Key point number two from last week, we learned that concealing the truth, that is as sinful as proclaiming lies. So false teachers, they don't, they don't teach certain things. They don't teach the sinfulness of sin. False teachers don't teach the total inability for us to do anything about our eternal life, for our good works to get us into heaven. Instead, what they do is they, they focus on comfort. Their message is comfort people. He has no answers for eternal problems, right? He's got easy answers for all the worldly problems. And then we closed last Sunday with a litmus test of the, of the quality of a Bible teacher's message. And one of the questions that I, I asked was this, is the teaching that you're receiving, is it slowly transforming your life into the character and the likeness of Christ himself? Because if it's not, guys, that's a huge problem. You got two options, I guess, when you think about that, if it's not transforming your life. Uh, number one, you need to think about a, a new church, and number two... Uh, the application. Are you actually applying God's word to your life? Uh, 
Well, that's the review. So we've got two gates, we've got two roads, we've got two teachers that bear two different types of fruit. Today, what Jesus does is he introduces us to do two different types of people. Um, there are all different types of, of people in the church. Diversity actually makes the church much, much stronger. Uh, the more racially diverse a, a church is, the stronger it can be. The more comprehensive our testimonies, uh, the more unified the church can be. However, when you boil down all the different worldviews, all the different ethnicities, the, na the nationalities, and even all the different various theological, uh, theological perspectives, there are only two types of people. Who are these people? And why do you care? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Just as you lifted your voice to sing God's Word back to Him, let's, let's uh, raise our voice together uh, reading God's Word, starting in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate, and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And dear church, this, these are the, the very words from the authoritative, the inerrant, the infallible word of Almighty God. Please pray with me. Father, the, the psalmist writes, search me and, and know my heart. Test me and, and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Father, we do pray that you would search our hearts this morning. You know our concerns. You know the troubles. You know the weight. You know the things that are in the back of our mind. You know the things that we're worried about. And Lord, we pray that whatever those things are, whether it's a health crisis, whether it's financial troubles, whether it's relational issues, whether it's kids or grandkids, whatever it may be, Lord, that we are able uh, with your, your power and your grace to lay all of those things down at the foot of the cross this morning as you teach us your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. take a deeper look here at verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. So if verses 15 through 20 from last week, if they dealt with the false teachers, verses 21 and 23 deal with false followers. Now keep in mind, Jesus preaches his sermon on the mount here. And as he's preaching, he's primarily speaking to his, his disciples. There is a crowd of people. They are listening. They are eavesdropping on this sermon. But Jesus' primary audience here is, is the, the 12 disciples. Now, at this time, disciple or not, almost everyone believed that, that they were destined for heaven for two, two reasons. Number one, because of their Jewish heritage. And number two, by obeying the law of Moses. And because of those things, they thought they had their ticket to heaven. They, they, they thought that they were riding first class. However, Jesus' sermon confronts their bad theology here time and time again. So leading up to his conclusion, Jesus explained how their righteousness must exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew 5.20. Jesus then dropped the bomb on them, right? That their righteousness doesn't come from, from doing external good deeds. It comes from a change in our hearts. It's internal. And then finally, Jesus gave them a standard that never really crossed their mind at all. You want to get into heaven? Okay, fine. Here's the deal. You got to be perfect. Just like your heavenly father is perfect. Matthew 5.48. So with that background now, Jesus says these words. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, this repetition of Jesus' title, it's, it's interesting. We see this repetition throughout Scripture. Let me give you a couple examples here. In Genesis 22, God tested Abraham and his obedience. He told him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. We pick up the story in Genesis 22, 9. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham, he built an altar. He arranged the wood on it. And then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham. A few generations later, Jacob is traveling to Egypt in Genesis chapter 46 so Jacob set out for Egypt with all of his possessions, and when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac, and during the night, God spoke to him in a vision, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. When God introduced himself to Moses through that burning bush, Exodus 3.1, one day Moses, he's minding his own business, right? He's tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Uh, Jethro, is a, he's a priest. He's a pagan priest of Midian. He's a, uh, he worships the moon. Uh, he led the flock far into the wilderness. He came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. And Moses stared in amazement. 
Though the bush wasn't engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. He said, man, this is amazing. Why isn't that bush burning up? I got to go see this. So he walks over, and then God called to him from the middle of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. God called a young boy the same way. His name's Samuel, 1 Samuel 3. One night, Eli, he's almost uh, completely blind by now. They, they went to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. And suddenly, the Lord called out to Samuel. He said, Samuel, yes, he replied, what is it? So he got up, he ran to Eli. He said, here I am. Did you call me? No, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Verse 6, the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up. He went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? No, 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 no. I, I didn't call you, my son. Go back to bed. Samuel did not know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once, and once more, Samuel got up, went to Eli, and he said, Eli, here I am. Did you call me? And it was then, the light bulb goes on, Eli realized, ah, this is the Lord calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, all right, go and, Sam, I want you to go and lie down. If someone calls you again, say this, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went, went back to bed. Now look at this. The Lord came and he stood there and he called us before and he said, Samuel, Samuel. Before Elijah was taken up to heaven, 2 Kings 2, as they, so that's Elijah and Elisha, as they were walking along, they're talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried off by a whirlwind in heaven. Elisha, he saw it, he cried out, my father, my father. We also see this repetition in the New Testament. The Gospel of Luke. While they were traveling, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Jesus had a sister named Mary. No, scratch that. She had a sister named Mary. Jesus did not. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the, uh, the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted with all her many tasks, she came and she said, Lord, don't you care? Man, don't you care that I'm doing all this work? My sister's left me to serve alone. Tell her to do something. The Lord answered her, oh, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has made the right choice. It's not going to be taken away from her. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus said this in Matthew 20, uh, 23. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you know what? You wouldn't let me. Many times Jesus emphasized his teaching by repeating himself as well. In John chapter 1, Jesus is speaking to Nathanael. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Nate, you're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He says, Nick, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 5, after Jesus heals a lame man, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John chapter 13, Jesus asked Peter, Pete, are you going to lay down your life for me? Really? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Again, Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And then perhaps the most radical example of this repetition took place when our Lord was suffering on the cross. He's under the curse of Almighty God. He's receiving the righteous wrath of his Father for our behalf. And in Matthew 27, he says, um, Matthew writes, about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? We even see this repetition in the book of Acts with this fire-breathing Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 9. As Saul was approaching Damascus on, on his mission, a, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And Saul fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So all that to say this. When you see the repetition of someone's name, it is a term of personal affection. When one greets another by repeating their name, it shows that they don't have just a casual acquaintance here. This is a deep bond. And I wanted to give that brief history because of the gravity and the urgency of, of Jesus' warning today. So back to our gospel text, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now look, guys, Jesus' words here in verse 21, they are stunning. They are staggering. This is one of the, if not the most chilling verse, the most terrifying verse in all of Scripture. It says, Lord, Lord, Kyrios, Lord. It's a title. It conveys that, that somebody has authority. So Jesus is saying here that not everyone who addressed him in terms of this deep affection will be saved. Now, how can that be? Because we see the very opposite being taught throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, verse 32, the prophet writes this. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In this verse, the Hebrew word for, for Lord is Yahweh. Yahweh is much more than a title. It's God's personal name that he gave to Moses. The apostle Luke quotes Joel in Acts chapter 2. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The apostle Paul, he does the same thing in Romans 10, 13. 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what's going on? Why does it appear that Jesus is contradicting Joel, Luke, and Paul? Well, first things first. A person who does not say, Lord, Lord, will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is the starting point in this whole conversation when it comes to to heaven and, and salvation. Nobody can become a Christian unless he proclaims Jesus as Lord. And then secondly, the opposite is also true. Anyone who does not call Jesus Lord cannot enter heaven. So all that's pretty straightforward so far. What we want to do is we want to make sure that we we don't take one verse out of context here when it comes to salvation. So we need to see what other verses say about salvation to answer this question. And one of the most famous verses on salvation is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul wrote, uh, writes in, in Romans 10, 9, he says, if, if is, it, that's based on a condition, right? We have a choice. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Apostle Paul, he goes on to explain why in in verse 10. He says, one believes with the heart. The heart, it's a conscious, willful decision based on faith along with God's grace. So one believes with the heart, that results in righteousness. And then one confesses with the mouth, and that results in salvation. So it's out of our hearts where this proclamation of Jesus is Lord comes from. So back to verse 21 here, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. So in other words, many, will pe- many people will say Jesus is Lord, but they just don't believe it. They have no fruit because their heart is not right. You know, one of the most dangerous teachings in the past 100 years or so is this this idea of easy believism. John 3:16. Look how easy this is. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So what do well-intentioned, good-hearted church people do with a verse like that? They tend to do what we always do, right? We take one verse out of context and we make it a human-based works-type system to get to heaven. Here's what I mean. Simply pray the prayer. Pray the sinner's prayer. All you have to do is sign the card. Or walk the aisle. Come as you are, right? And dear church, please understand, none of those ways are in Scripture to be forgiven. The sinner's prayer is not in Scripture. It's just lip service. So what Jesus does from last week here, he turns from focusing on false teachers to false professors, from unsound teachers to unsound hearers. Not only can false teachers deceive us about salvation, but we can deceive ourselves. Key point number one for today, a verbal proclamation of Jesus as Lord 
it does not always indicate a repentant heart. A verbal proclamation of Jesus as Lord doesn't mean that you have a heart change. Jesus continues now in verse 21. He says, but, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So if we were going to boil all of Scripture down to one word, it would be this one word. You ready? Obedience. Obedience. Right from the very start. Right with Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses says, listen, O Israel, this is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. You must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the laws, all the decrees that he's given you. Do what is right and good in, in the Lord's sight, so all will go well with you. So key point number two for today, God's will for your life is obedience. God's will for your life is obedience. He wants our obedience, which means he wants us. He doesn't want our task. He wants our hearts. Luke's gospel records it this way. Jesus says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? If you've got children or grandchildren, maybe you can relate. Maybe a wayward spouse that says he loves you, but he doesn't act like it. Key point number three, salvation and obedience, these things are inseparable. Salvation and obedience are inseparable. They are two sides of the same coin. True disciples not only proclaim Jesus as Lord, but they also submit to his authority through obedience. Now notice here, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about obedience. Here's a great question to ask, and it's key point number four. Are you obeying the Lord with what you know about the Lord? Are you obeying the Lord with what you know about the Lord? Why do I ask? Well, because 1 John, the Apostle John writes this, 1 John 2, he says, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone says, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and he's not living in the truth, but those who obey God's word truly show that they completely love him. And guess what, guys? Love and obedience produce good fruit. So not only are we to judge our Bible teachers by their words and by their deeds and their fruit from last week, but we, we ourselves will also bear fruit as well. When a person is, is truly born again, he's got the spirit of God living within him. Romans 8, 9, and it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us for obedience because God's given us a new heart, and because of that new heart, we are now motivated to obey God and to serve others, Romans 5, 5. It's out of our love and obedience that we want to do good works. It's not the other way around, right? Good people don't go to heaven, 
Only forgiven sinners do. There is no stairway to heaven. Jesus continues here in verse 22. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Man, didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? He says, on that day, that language there, it points to divine judgment. So let me provide some background on this. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12 for the, Lord's, for the Lord of heaven's armies has a day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and the mighty and bring down everything that is exalted. Joel 2.1, sound the trumpet, sound it in Jerusalem, raise the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. Malachi 4.5, he says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah, before that great and that dreadful day of the Lord. In the New Testament, we see the same thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, For you, you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. So we all have an appointment with the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's sooner than we all think. Verse 22, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we prophesy in your name? Man, did we drive out demons in your name and do all these miracles in your name? So we've addressed the importance of the repetition of Lord, Lord. Now in verse 22, we've got more repetition in your name. It's repeated three times in the same verse. So yes, we know that there is is power in Jesus' name, no doubt about that. But look how deceived people use the Lord's name. They use it as a magic power. They they use it as a, almost like a spell. And by doing so, they profane the Lord's holy and precious name. Now the question is, well, wait a second. Well, how could these people prophesy and cast out demons and do miracles If these guys are all fakes, how is that possible? Well, I think there are three possible answers here. The first, and this is probably the most obvious, is that they were lying. They're just lying. Notice how the text reads. Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? See, they said those things. Jesus, he doesn't deny, he doesn't confirm either way. So the first option is that they're lying. Secondly, it it is possible that they were performing miracles, but by the power of the devil. We got several examples of this in the Old Testament and in the New. In Moses' day, Pharaoh's magicians, what would they do? They, they copied, to a certain extent, the, the miracles of, of God, but they weren't of God. They were by Satan. In the New Testament, the book of Acts talks about Simon the sorcerer, who did these miracles, but they were not in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 8. And then my favorite, Acts chapter 19, we've got the, uh, this guy named Sceva and his seven sons. And they're going around like this. Hey, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. 
Needless to say, that kind of incantation didn't work out so well. It's actually quite comical um, and terrifying at the same time. It seems to me that today's uh, self-appointed faith healers, they may want to read Acts chapter 19 and see how that worked out for them. Now, look, I know that talking about uh, demonic powers here makes, a, makes us uncomfortable. Uh, that's not my intention at all. I just, <clears throat> I just want to make sure that, that everybody realizes the reality of the world that we live in. <clears throat> Thirdly, the Lord could have been simply using these people to perform miracles in spite of themselves. We got a perfect example of this in, in Numbers chapter 22. We got a false teacher named Balaam. And Balaam was doing God's will. It's an amazing story. When you read Numbers 22, it really is difficult at first to see whether or not Balaam is a, is a true or false prophet. We see the same thing happen in the, in the New Testament. John chapter 11, starting in verse 47, during Jesus' trial, leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. And they said, man, what are we going to do? This, this man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone's going to believe in him. And then the Roman army is going to come. They're going to destroy both our temple and the nation. And then Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, said, look, you guys don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation to be destroyed. And then John provides a little commentary in the next verse. He says that Caiaphas didn't say this on his own. He was the high priest at that time. He was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. One more example. Remember when Jesus gave the 72 disciples the power to preach and the power to heal and the power to cast out demons? So they go away for a few months, they come back, and they're all excited. The Gospel of Luke says this, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to Jesus. They said, Lord, you're not going to believe this. Even the demons obey us when we use your name. Jesus said, yeah, yeah. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And look, guys, I've given you the authority over all the power of the enemy. You can walk on snakes and scorpions. You can crush them. Nothing's going to injure you here. But, but notice this. Don't rejoice over that. That's not that big of a deal. Just because evil spirits obey your voice, big deal. Rejoice because your names, your names, are registered in heaven. I mean, that's... That's pretty fascinating. I think of Judas. Judas preached. He performed miracles. He cast out demons. He walked with Jesus for three years, proclaiming Jesus as Lord. But he didn't know Jesus. How is that possible? I know that's above my pay grade. Try to figure that out. One thing we know, though, is that there are consequences for a false conversion. 
Jesus says in verse 23, he says, then I will announce to them. Can you imagine that? It's important to notice the pronouns here. Jesus says to them. He doesn't say to you. So Jesus is not intentionally trying to scare his disciples. He, what he is trying to do is to wake up those people who profess Jesus but don't believe it. Also notice Jesus' claim here in verse 23. He says, I will announce to them, I never knew you. He says, I will do this. So Jesus gives us a glimpse of his sovereign authority here. Prophet Isaiah writes this, Isaiah 33:22. For the Lord is our judge, our lawgiver, he is our king. He will care for us and save us. So that's what Jesus claims for himself here in this gospel text. Jesus is the lawgiver. He's the one that created the law. He is the judge. He's the one that's going to judge us by his law. And Jesus is also king. And because of those things, Jesus is the only one with the power to either pardon or convict for eternity. So the pardon, that comes from the legal substitutionary atonement of Christ himself, right? Jesus is the way. He's the gate. He's the narrow road. Conviction, it comes to everyone else because they chose the wide road. Jesus says in verse 23, I never knew you. I never knew you. To know, gnosko, it means to, to recognize, to take a special interest in. Um, the Hebrew word yada is equivalent in many ways in, in, in the Old Testament. Let me show you this. Prophet Amos writes, I have known only you out of all the clans of the earth. In other words, I chose you guys. I know you. I know you. The psalmist writes in 139, he says, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See, there's an intimacy in knowing the Lord. And think about this, how much more as your creator and your Lord and your Savior, does he know you? And then finally, verse 23, like I said, in, in my opinion, this is the most chilling verse in all of Scripture. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And with those words on that judgment day, this person will be escorted out of the courtroom, similar to a bailiff escorting a criminal to prison. This is not the people's court, though. This is not Judge Judy. Uh, this is no joke. You know, from the very beginning, God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. Why did he do that? Because of their disobedience. Banishment is the, it's the mandatory, it's the essential punishment for rebellion. This person will no longer enjoy 
the grace and, and the presence of God. He will experience only the wrath of God, though, for all of eternity. Jesus says, depart from me. That final sentence there from Jesus, that is him as Lord and judge. His just picture the, the gavel being swung down and judgment being made. That judgment being final. This is a picture of judgment. It's a picture of, of Jesus sentencing someone to a very real place called hell. In fact, it's the identical sentence here in Matthew 25, 41. Jesus says, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, look, I, I get it. This is a heavy day. It's a heavy text. These things trouble us. On the other hand, I want us to look at the other side of the coin as well. For those who have been obedient and who are true disciples, this verse does provide hope. Uh, hope that God is going to do what he said he was going to do, which is making every wrong right. Justice will be served perfectly by the Lord Jesus. So my, my question is, how can you be sure, right? How, how can you be sure that you're not going to hear those words? Because we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. How do we know? The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 13. He says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? I don't like to fail tests. I'll tell you that right now. I certainly don't want to fail this one. So how do you fail this test? Uh, once again, it's disobedience. We say we do, we say we know the Lord, we say we love Him, but we are disobedient. Two things immediately stand out uh, when we talk about uh, our walk with the Lord, the way we know Him. Um, the first is forgiveness. If we're if we're Christians, we should know how to forgive, right? But if you refuse to forgive, if you, overall, if you fail to forgive people, you fail this test. Um, if we don't learn how to forgive people, we don't understand the cross, and the longer that we walk with the Lord, the faster we are to run and ask for forgiveness. I mean, how dare we accept Christ's forgiveness and not extend forgiveness to other people? The second thing is examination, like the Apostle John said. Refusing to examine yourself in light of Scripture. You know, one of the many things that I learned as an addict was that I was only as sick as my secrets. So today's a great day to examine ourselves. 
Are you a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? Are you a disciple? Time will tell. There's a cathedral in Lubeck, Germany. Has these words graved into one of the stones there. It says this. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk with me not. You call me life and live with me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the weighty words to look and ponder and think and, and wrestle with today. This is one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture. And Father, I pray that we, we realize that today. I pray that we do some business with you and, and uh, not take the grace that you've given to us for granted. May you continue to, to meet us where we are. If there are people that we need to forgive, Lord, Give us the, the encouragement and the perseverance to make things right. And Father, please show us the way. How do we examine ourselves in the light of Scripture? What are some of the things that we're doing that we don't need to be doing? What are some of the habits that we need to change? Give us the strength and the Holy Spirit power to do so. Lord God, we love you. We love you. Thank you for putting up with us. We are a mess. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.